And good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. I got a good letter uh, the other day on a topic that I don't think I've been asked about before. Uh, at least I never asked about it in as, as clear and sharp a way as uh, this listener sent it to me. Uh, I'm not going to read the letter, but I, I'm going to present the argument. And, and uh, it goes like this. Since, since the first century, Palestinian Jewish religious establishment got it wrong. That is, they didn't recognize their Messiah. The religious establishment, uh, the institution that God had set up to proclaim his message, again, the nation Israel, since they missed Messiah, then why should we be able to count on the church always getting it right? I mean, God had instituted the Hebrew tribes and the nation Israel, and they got it wrong. God may have instituted the church, but if God didn't protect the Jewish religious establishment from getting it wrong and missing the boat, then why should we expect him to protect the church? Uh, from missing the boat and getting it wrong about some very important things regarding Jesus. Why would he do for the church what he failed to do for ancient Israel? Therefore, the implication is, therefore, Catholics have no confidence, should have no confidence in doctrines of infallibility, or more, more strictly here, I think, what we call the indefectibility of the church. Uh, this is a this is a good argument. I mean, this is a sen- this is a sensible argument. It's utterly it, it's ultimately fallacious because it doesn't understand uh, the history of the covenants. Nevertheless, uh, it's a well stated argument, and I think that when I was an evangelical pastor, by the way, this goes back. I'm preaching to the Book of Philippians. This is back in the late '80s. This is when this really came home for me. Uh, I realized I possessed a very shallow understanding of the difference between the two covenants. In other words, why would the church be able to have a promise of indefectibility, but the Palestinian Jews, the Pharisees in particular, failed to recognize their Messiah? So let me, let me go into this a little bit. Uh, God initiated all the covenants. Let's make that clear. The covenants are initiated by God, not by humans. So he initiated a covenant with Adam and Eve. We call it the marital covenant. And by the way, Scott Hahn has a wonderful single lecture, uh, in, excuse me, he has a wonderful series called Salvation History, in which he really elaborates on these. And he does a, there's a summary lecture in that series. Uh, it's the series called Salvation History, uh, where he goes over the covenants, and he does a marvelous job. Uh, God initiated the covenants with Adam and Eve. That's a marital covenant. Then there was the covenant with Noah. That's a family covenant, the entire family of Noah. Then there's the Abrahamic covenant. That includes the tribe, okay, the tribal covenant, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the tribes of Israel. Then there's the Mosaic covenant, or the Sinai covenant is normally how it's referred to. And that's the covenant that is with Israel as a nation. So we move from a marriage to a family to a tribe to a nation. And then there's the Davidic covenant. Uh, David the king. This is the imperial covenant. This goes beyond the nation. David now is seated on the throne and will rule over the nations. That's the imperial covenant. All those covenants failed. Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 31, 
promises that there's a new covenant coming, and that new covenant is, of course, what Jesus initiates at the Last Supper. This is the new covenant in my blood. This is the new covenant in the uh, the breaking of the bread. Uh, And that is a universal, or you might call it a Catholic covenant. And not all covenants are equal in power or glory or effectiveness. Uh, we know this explicitly from the New Testament itself. The chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 8 says, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. The new covenant is better than the old covenant. It's more excellent than the old covenant. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second covenant. And then the author of Hebrews cites the longest Old Testament quote in the New Testament, and it's from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. It's all about the promise of the new covenant. So the right question to ask here is, why is the new covenant better? I mean, what is actually new about the new covenant? And the answer to that is is really simple. Both sides keep it. (laughs) In all the previous covenants, one of the uh, parties to the covenant failed to keep it. From Adam forward, no one had kept covenant with God faultlessly. Jesus, however, what's new about the new covenant is Jesus is the last Adam. He's the Adam that doesn't fail. He's the Adam that establishes the new covenant. A new people is born. The human race is regenerated and started anew. And since Jesus is the enactor of the new covenant as the last Adam, the human side of the covenant is enacted perfectly, unlike all those other covenants with Noah and Abraham and Moses and David. We should expect more from the new covenant. We should expect more from the new covenant institutions than we expected from the old covenant and the old covenant institutions. Frankly, we should expect more from the Catholic Church and its people. So the difference here between the covenants was a big deal for the writers of the New Testament. A big deal. Uh, Hebrews 8 quotes Jeremiah's prophecy, right? Uh, longest Old Testament quote in the New Testament, and then you hear echoes of that Jeremiah passage. Uh, You hear it in the accounts of Jesus' words over the cup at the Last Supper. Uh, St. Paul quotes Jesus' words uh, in Luke 22.20, part of the New Covenant tradition that he received, and he handed on to the Corinthians. He said, this cup is the New Covenant in my blood, again, referencing Jesus, who himself was referencing Jeremiah. In Mark 14, 24, Matthew 26, 28, uh, you again have the word covenant in the ancient manuscripts. Not all of them include the word new covenant, but the context is the Lord's Supper, and that certainly is the institution of the new covenant. Uh, you find again this idea of new covenant in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, reflect, you know, showing again the liturgical language of the church. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about the old covenant. Here he's talking about Moses and Sinai, and how the new covenant is superior to the old. You go down the list, it's really amazing when you begin to look at this. The shift in the covenants is what it's all about. 
that is the history-changing um, uh, moment. Uh, it, it is. We have moved from one era to a new era. We have moved from the old age to the age to come. And the difference is between the old covenant and the new covenant. It changed history. Uh, the coming of Jesus changed our consciousness towards God. It changed the way the Holy Spirit interacts with human beings. And and what applies to the new covenant applies to new covenant institutions and practices. In other words, if the new covenant is better than, more excellent than, superior to the old covenant, then in fact, the institutions and practices of the new covenant will be superior to the institutions and practices of the old covenant. So, baptism, it's superior to circumcision. Eucharist is superior to animal sacrifice. In this new covenant church, this new covenant people of God, all the promises to Israel in the Old Testament are fulfilled. So, we see this difference in the covenants in a very practical way in Paul's uh, Paul writing to the Philippians. And this is what I was um, speaking on back in the late 1980s. The Philippians, in chapter 2, verses 12 to 16, are really being commended by Paul, not condemned, commended. They are unlike the Israelites in the wilderness. They are children of God living in the promised land. He writes, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, notice that you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, uh, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. This passage, it may not be immediately clear from my reading of it, but this passage is based on Old Testament story of Israel in the wilderness. And this is often lost on uh, commentators, uh, but it, it's there. I preached on this passage many years ago, and I noticed its similarity to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 5, where God describes the children of Israel, quote, they are corrupt and not his children. To their shame, they are a warped and crooked generation. And this passage in Deuteronomy 32, Deuteronomy 32 talks about Israel in the wilderness, how they were murmuring, grumbling, contending, striving. The very places at Meribah and Massah, where they groused and rebelled, that's exactly opposite to what the Philippians were. The Philippians were not arguing, murmuring, or complaining. They were not a warped and crooked generation. To the contrary, they are light to a warped and crooked generation. They are blameless, without blemish, like the Passover lamb, who is Christ. They're faithful in their generation, shining as lights, just as Jesus is the light. Here's the difference between the Old and the New Covenant people. Unlike Israel, the church is mystically united to Christ, the last Adam. 
It was the last Adam who kept the covenant perfectly, unlike any other human uh, who engaged in the covenant. Noah, Abraham, Moses, David. We are empowered today more powerfully by the Holy Spirit than they were under the Old Covenant. Again, what's new about the New Covenant? Both parties obey it. And that means that Jesus, the head, head of his mystical body, the church, will guarantee that his church will not fail because of his mystical union with them. He obeyed the covenant perfectly, and his church will get into port. It will not defect. And that's a promise that wasn't made to ancient Israel. I'm Al Preston. 